0: This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Go Wild.
1: Go Wild is a social media platform designed for and by outdoorsmen. Go Wild is a place to connect with other outdoorsmen, find fishing and hunting tips and tactics, and you can even research and buy your gear. Join hundreds of thousands of other hunters, fishermen, and outdoorsmen and experience what this community is all about. Download it today at DownloadGoWild.com.
0: Welcome back to another episode of the Woodsman Podcast, where we'll talk everything Pennsylvania outdoors. If you enjoy deer hunting, fishing, trapping, or just being outside, this podcast is for you. Our goal is to showcase the vast opportunity that the Pennsylvania Woodsman can experience. We hope this inspires you to get out and enjoy God's creation in the Keystone State. We are pumped up and ready to go for archery season. We're less than a month away for our state opener. Bo's tuned in. All our final touches are made. I'm pumped, guys. I hope you are, too. Whatever it may be, get out there and enjoy creation. We're getting close to that time of year. We're starting to see leaves change, cooler temperatures. It's a great time to be out. This week, we're going to be talking with John Wakefield at the Game Commission. John is the fire program manager, and one thing I'd really like to do here at the Woodsman Podcast, I want to integrate state agencies and the management plans for our public land onto this podcast. I think there's a lot of great people in our state agencies, and I would like to incorporate them and use the information they have and the things within the plans to our advantage in whatever quarry we are going after in the outdoors here. So, since it's so close to bow season, I wanted to touch on a couple things before we get into the nitty-gritty details of fire. Um, first, we're gonna be we're gonna be talking with John about you know all things fire, a little bit of the how-to's, the habitat types, the overall goals that the state has in place for the fire program, and a little bit of where it's going. So, all things about fire, your curiosities, tune in here in just a little bit. But since we're so close to bow season, I wanted to, to talk about fire and how to utilize fire units on state land for hunting strategy. So your habitat type is a big deal. If the fire was utilized in an early succession, and when I say early succession, I'm talking maybe it was burned in the growing season in an old field It was old shrub land, something that was younger, and that stuff was set back, and it was burned this year in 2021. Those are going to be fantastic places for you to utilize as a food source because there's going to be so much herbaceous growth, and it's all going to be relatively available for the first part of archery season. So I like to approach those places as a food plot. Do you necessarily hunt over the food plot? Sometimes it calls for it. But keep in mind, while fire units are going to be highly attractive places for wildlife, they're also going to be highly attractive for people because, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to think just the same things that you and I are thinking. If it's close to the road, if it's easily accessible, it could very quickly, within the first week, become a nighttime location for deer traffic. And if that happens... You need to shift gears and think, okay, this is a nighttime food source, but I can be almost certain deer are going to be relating to this unit for food. Go to the places that nobody else will go and find the security cover that they are bedding in. It might be 200 yards away. It might be a thousand yards away, but find where you're relate, where those deer are relating to that you can either hunt them in the bed, or if you can find a transition or pinch point that's leading them, that's going to be your best bet to move in for a kill. If these chop-offs were older, um, I say chop-offs, if these prescribed fires were older, uh, two, three years, kind of look at those like a chop-off. When you get to year two, three, four, five, you're going to have a lot of herbaceous growth that you're starting to, you're going to start to get that mix of woody regeneration. You won't get this in a field, but if you have this in a, a woodland, uh, early succession type of habitat, you're going to see a lot of those browse species, and I say browse species, fall winter browse species coming back. you are going to start to take over the herbaceous stuff, and that'll be a good mix of cover and fall winter food. Again, I, I say if there is any place that's easily accessed, you may find more deer relating to it at night, or you may find more doe groups that linger on the edges. Most of the time you're going to find a good buck is going to relate to that neck of the woods just on the backside, just where they're out of reach of that traffic of humans try to find a pinch point in between. The deer are going to relate to it, yes, but try to find the next security cover, that transition zone, where you can capitalize. So, hopefully that's something that you can think about as you're going through. Um, When you get to these openings, uh, I I will caution you this, when you get to an opening in woods, so if it's a hardwood setting, but now there's a, a uh, woodland that was chopped, then they came through with a prescribed fire. These openings are so tempting to sit by because it's a great edge transition. But what you'll find, especially in terrain, this will be exacerbated, wind is going to swirl like an eddy. Anybody that uh, is a fisherman and you know talks about pools and you know that, that drift back when water goes over an edge, wind is going to swirl on those edges with the trees, especially with the leaves on. So keep in mind, if you set up on the edge of this quote-unquote food plot, which is really the burn unit, your wind could easily be swirling depending on your direction. It could hit that wall, back swirl, and any deer that comes into that unit could smell you, even if you think you have your wind direction right. So be wary of setting up on these field edges or these burn edges. Try to find the best trails leading into them and hopefully capitalize before they get there. I hope everybody's locked and loaded and ready to go in the next few weeks. I hope you enjoy this podcast with John Wakefield. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, John, how are you?
1: Hey, good. How are you doing?
0: Oh, I can't complain. What's life like this time of year? Is it a little hot inside and outside? Are you able to stay kind of cool? Yeah.
1: Uh, hot hot when we're outside, that's for sure. Uh, I get out in the field this time of year doing... Field visits and checking on units that we have burned uh, this spring and stuff that's coming up for next year. And yeah, I was out yesterday, <laughs> and uh, it was it was nice to be out in the field, not in the office. But man, it was it was hot enough, humid enough.
0: Yeah, it's been brutal so, these past few weeks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, John, yeah, what did you, for you sure. or... but, Go ahead. Oh yeah, I was going to say yeah, lots of. Uh, Lots of uh, planning and and doing some trainings and stuff this time of year. So okay. you know it's it's uh, you know a mix of both office time and field time.
0: That's good. So
1: John, why don't uh, why don't you just
0: introduce yourself? Kind of you know give us a little bit of who you are and uh, you know what you're doing with the game commission.
1: Yeah. So my name is John Wakefield. I'm the fire program manager for the game commission. Um, been in this position for uh, eight years now. Um, uh, prior to that, I, uh, worked at Town Gap as a, as a field forester there. Um, and that's really where I started to get involved with prescribed fire. Um, so, uh, I grew up in, in Hummelstown, gotcha. uh, right outside of Hershey in central Pennsylvania and went to Penn state for forestry and spent two years at Mont Alto campus, two years at Maine. And yeah, I got, got into fire at Town Gap and, uh, Kind of moved up from there and really uh, you know honed my interest and, and gained more experience and I was able to bring that to the game Commission and um, here my, my main job is to, to manage all aspects of the prescribed fire program for the agency so uh, I cover the whole state uh, manage the qualification system uh, training I instruct training classes and uh, um, Schedule training classes. Coordinate with other organizations. Um, you know, I mentioned training and qualifications, and that's that's a a big thing for us. We we need to meet uh, a set of standards to be able to burn in Pennsylvania, and that's a lot. Of and uh, working through required experience, there's a whole need to, to track that to make sure we're all up to par with state standards to be able to do what we're doing. Uh, so in addition to that, I am a qualified burn boss, uh, so I'll actually go out throughout the state and lead burn organizations um, on, on projects that are, you know, throughout the state in both woods and, and grasslands, and and they, they range from uh, smaller grass burns to pretty large woods burns.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So how long uh, has the state had a burn program in place?
1: So we've actually been burning uh, for quite a few years, probably back into the 70s and, and 80s, on a fairly small scale. I'd say our, our, our modern-day uh, formal prescribed fire program got started in uh, 2009, 2010 timeframe. There was a pretty strong interest to really do more prescribed fire for habitat management. But we had there was sort of a, a roadblock where there wasn't there wasn't liability coverage uh, for people to do prescribed fire, and so uh, what, what what really kicked things off for the state as a whole with prescribed fire uh, around 2010 was the passage of the prescribed fire legislation, okay. uh, prescribed fire practices act, and that, that provided some protection burn managers you know, to go out and burn, as long as they were meeting the standards, uh, they'd be covered for liability. So that was, that was really big in pushing things forward in the state.
0: Yeah. So how does that work? I guess that's one question I've always had. I mean, I've talked to a lot of private landowners and they're like, oh, I'd love to have prescribed fire on my land, but, you know, I don't know anything about it or where to start. I mean, is that something, can private landowners do that or do they have to have a qualified individual come and write a plan or how does that work?
1: Yeah, so private landowners can burn their property. Uh, there's there's nothing against that, as far as the, the the law goes. It's just if if something were to happen and and fire were to spread onto somebody's land and cause damage, then they could be held liable. Sure. Um, but if if, if a is in, interested in in burning their property to improve habitat for hunting or whatever, there's they 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 could go out and do that. Of course, we you know recommend that they. Uh, you know try to seek out some training or you know get get some information about how to do it safely uh, and and we're we're, we're working uh, with the, the Pennsylvania prescribed fire council to try to provide more of that type of training to to landowners and and you know, folks throughout the state that are interested in seeing more fire on on private lands there's definitely a, a need there we, we, we recognize that there's very few contractors that offer services, but that's that's another option that landowners could could go to is to hire a contractor to come in and burn their property, and, and they would they would write a burn plan for that project. So I, I think I think we'll see more. Our our hope is to see more and more fire getting put on private lands in the future. There's there's just some some things that we'd like to see happen before we really expect a big a big movement forward with that. Council's working on a uh, a certified burn manager program here um, hopefully in the next year or two, which will afford liability protection for um, those who go through this program, uh, which will be very attainable. It'll require a little bit of experience, uh, a little bit of training, but something um, certainly any um, landowner could go through. And it's really geared towards teaching, uh, you know, how to do a fire safely, the, the benefits of fire, what to look for as far as weather and fuel conditions, and, and we call fuel like leaf litter or grasses, things that are going to carry the fire. What to look for there to, to be able to have, have a safe and effective burn. So we want to try to get that information out there to the to everybody, and that's part of this training. And so we're, we're really excited to to get this thing pushed forward and, uh, you know, again, hopefully get some more fire on, on private lands. Yeah, that's a great
0: thing. So pretty much anybody listening would be able to say, okay, I'm going to go on and check out the prescribed fire council website and kind of look into that. Is that, is that accurate?
1: Yes. Yeah. There, there will be, uh, as, as this thing develops, there will be more and more, uh, information put out there. In the meantime, we're, we're hoping just to get some basic resources, from across the country, there, there's there's folks that have put a lot of time time into this already, and, and have developed great resources for the uh, public to be able to go and reference on uh, the basics on a prescribed fire, that you know basic how tos, you know getting started with some equipment and things like that. So yeah, we're, we're hoping to to put more of those resources on that that website for people to go to and check out, and then as the, the certified burn manager program starts to take off and Become more of a, a, a reality. That information will, will definitely be on there.
0: Good deal. Well, you made a you made a comment earlier about talking about the benefits of the prescribed fire within within that training. So, just on a real broad, brief scale, I mean, let let's dig into that a little bit. Why fire? Why
1: use fire? So, fire has been around for a long, long time. People like to look at it as a as a very natural. Management tool. There were, were lightning-caused fires historically, and and you know, man has used fire as well to to shape the land, essentially, for for various purposes. So it's it's really neat to be able to continue that that process and and see the the see basically why everybody has used fire to this point. What what kind of benefits you can get specifically from fire? that you can't get from other tools, like just you know, cutting or, or herbicide use. But, you know, at the same time, we, we also think about it as, as something to go along with those other tools. So fire can do lots of great things, but it also may not be the, the 100% answer to your habitat needs. So, you know, think about fire in conjunction with cutting timber or herbicide use. So if, if you if you combine several of these techniques, you can certainly get an accelerated movement towards your, your, your end goal instead of just relying on, on one tool all the time. Basic things that, that uh, we like about fire and what it can do for habitat man- management, it really stimulates browse production. So we're talking about you know, deer and elk management in particular, fire top kills a lot of species, saplings to sprout from the ground and makes those, those uh, browse shoots a, a lot more nu- nutritious and, and preferable but by wildlife. Uh, we can use fire to, to top kill and cause a whole bunch of browse to come up. It, it helps us with oak management. So the way oak grows, it's much slower than, uh, say, birch and maple. Mm-hmm. And oak is fire adapted. It has thick bark that that growth cycle of slow growth is because it puts a lot of its energy into the ground at first. And so we can run a fire through and, and kill off thin barked maple and birch and cause the oak to, to really get a, get ahead of those other species and, and shoot up and uh, be much more competitive in a forest stand that's, that's regenerating. So from, from the forestry end of things, that's, that's a big reason why we use fire is for oak management to, uh, to keep Oak in the picture versus birch and maple. Okay. And then, and then, uh, as far as grassland management, uh, folks are interested in that. You know, we, are we're looking to keep fields as fields. So if left go, as many people probably know that a field will revert into brush and eventually into trees. So we're, we're basically resetting the stage and, and promoting the grass versus Encroaching shrubs and
0: and trees. That's interesting. So I, I, you know, if anybody goes onto the Game Commission website, they can, you know, dig into the habitat management side of things, and they can find the prescribed uh, fire map. It's the ArcGIS platform, um, GIS platform, and you can see all those those units and stuff. So when you look across that whole state, I mean, you zoom out, it's littered all over the state of burns that already occurred and burns that will occur. So you kind of tapped in a little bit to it, but I mean, go, let, Let's can, can you break down like types of habitats and what the goals of the fire? I mean, you've basically got grasslands and you've probably got some kind of in-between, you know, mixed shrubbery, early succession state, and then you've just pretty much got closed canopy forests. I mean, if you break yeah. it down into those three types of habitats... Can you maybe in each of those break down what is benefiting after that fire?
1: Yeah, sure. So we'll start with grass and then we'll work into our closed canopy forest. So grass, we're, we're looking to maintain those grasslands. So keeping the shrubs and, and trees out, we're also removing the thatch buildup. So year after year, if nothing is done, the, the dead grass material just accumulates, at, at the ground level and becomes, makes that grassland pretty unusable to smaller birds, especially when they're, you know, think about them trying to navigate at the ground level. We, we, we need to remove that thatch out. So fire does that really effectively. And the, the other thing I'll say about grassland management is, depending on timing of fire, we enhance the grass component of that field. Or if we burn later in the summer, early fall, uh, we tend to see an increase in the forb component. So your, your wildflowers or your, your, your partridge pea, th- those type of highly beneficial species will generally increase with that later timed fire. So depending on what the field looks like, we can adjust our timing uh, to, to meet those needs. We'll, we'll move into to shrublands. Or you know earlier successional habitat, so fire is is used in those situations to to maintain those a lot of times. So it's something that's that's you know, there's not a whole lot of that out there across the landscape that you know, young forest, but certain species definitely need that. And it's you know all in all, say it's, it's really important to us in the game commission to to look at things on a broad scale and really shoot for. A, a mix of structure as we realize we're, we're not, we're not just managing for deer, although maybe a lot of people would just li- like us to, you know, <laughs> um, but we're, we're uh, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking about bear and we're thinking about Turkey and, and you know, we're, we're thinking about keeping fields as fields for pheasants say, so we're managing a whole host of species, not to mention the the, the non-game species that are out there. You know, a mix of structure, um, having a little bit of everything in close proximity is, is probably the best case scenario. So we really don't want a whole landscape all looking the same. So, again, with the, the early successional areas that maybe have been cut or are coming up with saplings, maybe we run a run, run a fire through there to just knock that back and, and let it grow again to be in that uh, a young shrubland or re- regenerating state. So, yes. Yeah, so um, while while you're on that topic, we, I have a question for
0: you. Yeah. So when you're when you're talking about those types of species that <clears throat> woody browse type, you're mostly the species that are there. You're top killing them, and a lot of those species are, you know, coming back from the roots. Or if you continue to burn that type of habitat, do you start to see different plant communities form? Yes.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. So. One of the things we can do with fire is alter our, our return interval. So, in other words, how often we burn a, a unit. The more often you burn, or the, on, on, on a quicker rotation, generally you're going to drive that area to more herbaceous species. You know, grasses are going to start to come in, forbs, things like that, versus a longer fire return interval you're you're going to prefer more woody species. So, depending on what we're trying to do, we'll we'll change how often we we burn an area. We can also, you know, alter fire intensity a little bit there just to to achieve those different results. But but yeah, you're if we're if we're burning it say every 2 to 3 years, which we we have some areas that we try to do that in. We we've we've got a lot to get around to, so it is difficult to to stick with that regime. But we have some areas that we've actually targeted on, on every, every three years. And we've had several burns in and and we can see the results there where the species, the the structure is starting to change. Those maple species are getting weeded out. You've got some oaks, you know, really thriving in that condition. and, And we've got some grasses starting to come in. So again, having, having all that stuff right there in the same area is, is really neat. Deer loving it. Uh, you know, plenty of places to lay and, and, and cover and plenty of stuff to eat right around, so. Sure. Well, hey, so well, yeah.
0: f- before we get uh, too carried away and deep into certain ones, I'll let you go on to kind of that uh, oak forest closed canopy, maybe some of the things that are going in there
1: that oh, goes yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. so as, as, as we move into the, the, thinking about forests, generally two different types of forests that, that we're managing, oak forests, and then northern hardwoods types. So, uh, we don't, we don't have a whole lot of oak, but maybe more beech beach, birch
0: maple type
1: forest. Beech bird maple. Yeah, correct. And we've actually used fire in both of those forest types. Oak, oak is the one that gets the most attention because oak is, oak is fire adapted. We kind of talked about that earlier, mm-hmm. but I, I, I will mention the, uh, northern hardwoods. We, we've had some areas where we, we've got a lot of beech brush and traditionally there's been a lot of herbicide use. To try to control that beach brush. But we've been, we've been highly effective, uh, with fire, uh, in, in controlling that beach for competition and also just getting some neat, neat results in the northern hardwood stands as far as seeing some, some forbs and some grasses coming in just to kind of diversify things a little bit and provide a little bit more for, for wildlife. But yeah, it's something that's, that's kind of out of the box that you might not typically think of, you know, fire in a northern hardwood stand, but I, I definitely think there's there's uh, some benefits there that that uh, that people can think about and, and stuff that we've seen and, and we're it's fairly new for us so we're trying to get our folks from other regions you know up up to the up to the northeast region which is that's where we've been doing some of this kind of test work just to see what'll happen in, up in Wyoming County. Okay. But yeah, stuff's stuff's uh, looking really good with that. So it's not like there's a lot of areas where we're just not purposely going to put fire in. Specifically, some of the the northern slope, maybe wetter site, northern hardwood stands. They're they're just not very fire receptive. Sure. So we're not going to have, you know focus our time there versus going to a, a drier site oak stand where we're going to have uh, you know a lot a lot better results with fire.
0: So I guess let's just look at it closed canopy forest, regardless of the forest type, whether it's an oak hickory type forest or it's a beech birch maple. If it's a closed canopy forest, um, are you seeing good regeneration in those units without a lack of sunshine or is it a, is it just a knockback of certain species to promote you know better mass crop like, you know I've heard some negative thoughts about some people and I think it's just their lack of understanding yeah. that you know it's there's no benefit in a closed canopy forest there, it's it's a waste of time but I, I personally don't agree with that but can you just kind of highlight why why do it in a closed canopy forest as far as maybe beach production or, or something like that I mean what are your some of your thoughts on that as far as regeneration
1: yeah I, I think I think light is is a huge factor and, and really important to, to manage. Uh, but I will say, as far as fire in a, a truly closed canopy stand with lower light levels, uh, some people will, will take the, the track of running fire maybe one time through that to, to knock out the maple saplings or birch saplings that are existing in there before they cut, just to, just to kind of get a, a, a head start on things. When, when other people might go ahead and, and do a thinning first and let it sprout and then run a fire through. You know, nice thing about doing it before you cut is you don't have a whole lot of the, the, the timber slot that mm-hmm. could be problematic with a fire. If not handled correctly, you could get a little bit more intensity than, than what you want and, and impact your, your residual trees. But, you know, the, the other the other way with cutting it first and then burning is you do have that increased light in there and things are sprouting up and maybe you get a little bit more benefit from your fire entry in that case. But yeah, ultimately, I think having that light in there, it really makes a difference. So whether it's before or after, I think no matter what, you, you, you've got to, you've got to get some light in the stand to really get some regeneration going. So I, I think if done correctly, I think I, I, I think I think it can be done either way and still have great results. I don't. I'm, I'm not saying you, you have to cut before you burn or you can't burn after you cut. But I think they depending on your situation and what you're trying to do. Fire can be effective in both those cases.
0: Exactly, and I think you nailed it. I mean, one thing that I, I want to make sure everybody understands, you know, we talk about managing small parcels, if it's a privately owned parcel for, you know, deer hunting or turkey hunting or whatever, you know, we talk about trying to be as diverse as possible, trying to minimize, you know, maximize um, diversity, plant species and community types, you know, an uneven canopy, I think, creates a lot of diversity and that's good for wildlife if managed appropriately. And a lot of people, I think, you know, They'll, they'll, they'll pick one game lands, let's say, say we pick game lands, whatever, in Wyoming County, and, you know, we want to talk negatively about this specific unit. But zoom out to the whole scale of Pennsylvania and think about what we just talked about as far as diversity. You've got different types of habitats, different times of year that you're burning, all trying to be as diverse as possible. So when you zoom out on that scale, I mean, how many different types of manipulations did you just create in yeah. a half hour time frame
1: yes yeah. I guess to, to build on that I mean our our fire our, our burn units specifically are are uh, tailored to to match the landscape I'd say and and the the size of the land base that we're working on so how big how big is the game lands or you know, how big is the landscape we're talking about and with the you know, mixing of structure in mind we don't we don't always want to be going out and and burning the entire place i mean that's that's not our goal at all or, or burning too big for 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 the size of the game land so you know we're, we're, we're definitely keeping that in mind and scaling our units appropriately we, we've got some pretty large game lands and on those game lands oftentimes they're they're kind of inaccessible in terms of timber harvesting, and fire may be the, the, the best realistic option for us. And so we may see some pretty large burn units on those places to really have an impact where accessibility is not good and, and the landscape needs it. 2,000-acre burn unit in one area, and then you go to another game land that's smaller, and maybe we're burning 50-acre woods unit. Yeah, it's a really important concept is to keep it in mind. To, you know, it's, it's not it's not like cookie cutter across the state.
0: Yeah, you you answered a question I had uh, without really asking it. You know, one of the questions I had was is is bigger better? But keying into that specific habitat type, I think is spot on, and that's probably what a lot of people don't understand the relative. You know, relative to that game lands or location and, and the habitats surrounding that area. You know, I think a lot of people like to think about you know a forty acre section, a hundred acre section, small, but really, you guys are managing thousands of acres.
1: Yeah, yeah, Ten, tens of thousands of acres on a single game land in, in, in some cases. So it's big area, and we want to have you know the most positive impact that we can every time we, we go out. You know, just jump into it now. For for a typical woods burn for us, it's probably fifteen to, to twenty people, and we can have that same crew to burn fifty acres or two hundred acres. Right. You know, we obviously from a from an efficiency standpoint, we're going to you know have have, uh, have a, a lot better impact with the same crew on, on two hundred acres if if that's what the habitat calls for, but. At the same time, we talk about uh, smaller landowners. There's nothing wrong with starting very small. And I'd encourage that. And, and, and you can still see great results. You don't have to think about fire as a tool that, oh, you, you got to go out and burn 50 acres or 100 acres every time for it to, it to work. Um, you can get really small scale. So people that are thinking about, you know, trying out, but maybe aren't sure, you know, it's like 100 by 100 area or something you know this you know to, to to start into it marcus lashley out of university of florida has this boat bo- bo
0: stand burns
1: yeah there, there you go I'm, I'm sure people have heard about it that's that's great but yeah that's i mean you know that, that now you know you're talking about what 30 yards around your tree stand type of small scale but right there i mean that's that's his point about fire fire doesn't need to be you know this thing that people think about that only that the public agencies can do i mean this is It's something doable, you know, again, get your, get your done on it and, and do do it safely, but it's, it, it can be used on those smaller scales. Certainly. So you talked a little
0: bit earlier in the podcast about, um, you know, burning and heat intensity and time of year. Uh, I'll stick into a little bit of that. What is making you guys decide when to burn, whether it's in that, you know, late February time frame through April into May versus doing it in the dormant season, you know, here in, you know, mid hunting season or something like that?
1: We look for opportunities twelve months out of the year. Now, of course, we don't get them, but it's we 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 we've, we've got so much to do that we we have to be thinking about fire in some manner all year. And and we've actually been able to burn in every month, every month except for uh, January so far. So we'll, we'll we'll keep we'll keep looking at that one. But yeah, anyway, uh, weather weather is the biggest factor, of course. We, we generally get the best conditions it's maybe starting late February in through May and that is generally due to, to, to weather conditions the the, the the drier air drier humidity that comes through Pennsylvania but in our in our woods in our wooded stands it's before leaf on so once things really start greening up depending on where you're at in the state May into June that's when we we kind of shut for uh, a couple months in the summer for our, our, our woods burns anyway. Okay. And then once the leaves come off in the fall, we get into that window of opportunity again. And of course, you know, snow pack and not, not only the, the snow itself, but snow packs the leaves down right. uh, after it's on. So we have to wait till that stuff kind of fluffs up so it gets to, to, to burn right for us again. But aside from that, it'll be dependent on what our, what our objectives are. So if, if we, you know, I kind of mentioned before about the grass side of things, about what, when you burn. You know, woods burns, we try to get them in whenever we can, February to early May. We have to start watching our, our intensities with, with ambient air temperatures and, and leaf out. As we get into May, we start to we start to get more of an impact with fire. Once once the buds start to break, we start to get some some leaves on. The other the other consideration for us, being a wildlife agency, is nesting season, and and fawning season. So, as we start to get into May, that's a big consideration for us. And so we realize we may you know impact a couple turkey nests say uh from, from from time to time. For for one, as we come across those, we we can successfully protect those nests a lot of times, but if we can't, you know, our stance is, is if, if we impact a few nests, the habitat benefit from what we did will will be a, a, a lasting effect that the turkey will be able to for years and years. So kind of for the for the for the greater good type type of view. But also, so people know, turkey will re-nest. There's lots of, of papers out there, uh, documentation, even through National Wild Turkey Federation, that supports fire, even even into that May time period, you know, or, or early in the, the the nesting season, just to kind of push the, the effects of fire on the habitat versus maybe those those few um, losses. So,
0: yeah, I mean, it's um, it's kind of a it's a double-edged sword, but I mean, people got to understand right. that you know, you guys aren't just when, it, when the when the situation's right, you're not just going out and you're just burning. There's a there's a plan no. of going through and setting your fire breaks and probably going through the unit to a degree just to make sure that yes. everything's in check.
1: Yes, we yeah we 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 have a, a pretty extensive process for each and every burn that we do. Uh, every every burn unit needs to have a burn plan, and those plans are are really comprehensive. Uh, it, it'll it'll take our staff good amount of time, hours and hours, to to put these plans together, and that covers all of our bases from our, our notifications before the burn, leading up to the burn, people that we need to notify about what we're doing, fire breaks where they're going, schedule for maintenance of those. What our, our weather conditions need to be, what our objectives are for doing the burn, how many people we need, how many how many engines we need to be able to hold the fire, our smoke concerns. We, we, we really don't want to impact the public with our smoke. So we, we have a certain set of conditions that we need to meet to be able to, to do that. And then if, if something happens during the burn that doesn't go the way that we want it to, what's our contingency plan for handling that? So that's all outlined along with maps and everything like that for, for every plan. So it's it's a pretty well thought out process, uh, well in advance. I review all of those plans through my position here in Harrisburg and sign off on, on all of them. So yeah, it's definitely a lot goes into to each burn. So one
0: big question I have, are you guys finding that you are able to control or suppress Invasive species with the use of fire.
1: Yeah, and in, in, invasive is a, is a is an interesting one. Uh, I'll say it, it depends on the invasive species that you're concerned with. So things like fern and stilt grass, mile a minute, we cannot control with fire. We haven't necessarily seen where where, where fire by itself has contributed to say, a a rapid expansion of the coverage of those species, a lot of it is tied to to light. And so if you're you're opening up the stand, whether it's with fire or another practice, you're likely going to see an expansion of of those types of invasives. You know, other invasive shrubs, barberry, we've actually been able to to, uh, at least top kill barberry, sometimes outright kill barberry with fire. Ailantis, you'll see the, the root suckering off Ailantis, so it's definitely recommended to treat that ahead of time if it's on your property. Get out and treat the Ailantis if you're thinking about using fire just so you don't have that type of explosion. And, and it's the same as, as you would if you just cut it and didn't, uh, didn't herbicide it. So it's, it's kind of a, a, a mixed bag uh, with fire. So it all depends on what you got and, you know, what you're what you're trying to do. But I, I would definitely recommend identifying those issues up front and be thinking about herbicide to, to really knock them out so they don't become more problematic. Now,
0: correct me if I'm wrong. If you run into those situations where you're going to burn a lot of that uh, matter thatch that's in your area that you're going to burn, right after that would probably be a good time to then treat with herbicide to prevent those from coming back and let those new species kind of overcrowd that. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've had, uh, we've had great success. Of course we've, we've done some experimenting with different herbicides, but you know, definitely plan on it and, and be, be prepared to, to treat those after a fire. Uh, we, we, have had some grass fields where they were pretty overridden with, uh, Japanese stilt grass mm-hmm. So we've, we've burned the field off, and then uh, we've we've applied a, uh, a pre-emergent herbicide, and that totally knocked it out. And that, that that grass has come back in and and, and dominated again. So I, I think in in the case of stiltgrass, uh, in particular, it's important to to think about what's going to replace it. What's what's what do you want to have there to 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 out compete it because i think with with some of these um, herbicide treatments for like fern and silk grass it's only going to buy you a little bit of time but you got to have something there to to replace it and ideally something you know native beneficial
0: so what about your other like non you know non-targeted or non-preferred species like uh striped maple that you're seeing in places in the northern woods does that set it back or does that pretty much come back from the roots then
1: no, uh, straight straight maple is one that that we can impact with fire for sure. You know, you, even if it's just top killing. Um, again, we're 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 giving we're giving our our preferred species a uh, a, a chance to get ahead. So you know, even if it's if, if it's top killing these species, you're 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 getting other stuff up above it um, that can eventually outcompete it. So yeah, we, we're that's that's a pretty uh, solid target with fire. In in oak stands, if they got a lot of straight maple underneath, running a nice you know low to moderate intensity fire in there should do the trick.
0: You know the the concepts that we're talking about to try to manage preferred species, they're really not much different than what I'm used to in my profession in agriculture. You know we're trying to prepare the seed bed to make a clean field come up for any of our row crops. And the earlier and more consistent that you manage those less desirable weeds, it's going to be a whole lot easier because your species that you're wanting to flourish will, once they have that early competition right. removed. Right. Right. Um, you know, it seems right. like in a lot yeah. of those yeah. forest so like, and don't, situations, don't, don't
1: don't wait till it's like uh, you know crazy. Uh, out of control to do something. If you, if you recognize the problem, try to address it up front. That's going to be the best. Exactly. Exactly. So
0: so one thing I wanted to make sure I understood. So, you know, a lot of those springtime or dormant season, you know, late, late season, so let's say November and then those early March timeframes, those fires are the ones that you're kind of Burning a lot of that material off the thatch, and it's just kind of getting new growth. But the the more intense growing season fires, you're you're having a greater effect on maybe hardwood species. But the the plant communities are switching. That's is that kind of understood, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. We're seeing in in general, you'll see a a, a greater impact. With fire during the growing season, whether it's early growing season or, or late growing season, because everything's, everything's leafed out and, and it doesn't take a whole lot of fire to, at at that point with higher temperatures, higher air temperatures to Mm -hmm. be cooking sap. So in general, like late growing season fires or, you know, fires kind of later in May, they're often not as intense but you get a little bit more severity, we call it, a little bit more impact out of that. You could get similar results in the dormant season, but you're probably going to need a little bit higher intensity fire. Right.
0: Oh, man, we kind of bounced all over the place, John. I mean, is there anything that I'm missing or or things that you want to touch on about uh, the fire
1: program? Yeah, I I will say as far as um, hunters that are, interested in where we're burning and I, I, I guess we'll just kind of jump into burning during the fall, burning during hunting season. We, we, we do that. Like I said before, we try to burn whenever we can meet objectives and so that includes archery season. So coming up here in the next couple of months, you might see signs on game lands, notice prescribed fire area, there might be a date change there. I'd just let you know just to, to check in on our on our public website, our prescribed fire page, and check that map. And that map will be updated once once burns are going to happen, for sure. So, like, day before, you know, they'll get posted on there, possibly a couple of days out, but it's tough to get more than that because of, of, you know, the way weather changes. Those burns will be updated on there. So, you know, be sure to, to keep a heads up for that. Um the other thing that we're looking to do is uh, roll out a kind of a sign-up list serve uh, where, where you can sign up if you're interested in knowing when we're going to burn in a particular county.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, that you might get a you might get a text message or an email or both. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure it, it's it's uh, one or both of those. But anyway, you, it's 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 an, another way to be able to get the message out. To the to the public about what we're doing to try to reduce conflicts.
0: Sure, so, I'm sure you have um, plenty
1: of those. Yeah, it's it's something that we tested this spring in Lehigh County and had good success with over there. So we're looking to roll it out statewide. It is not live yet, but uh, there'll be information coming out uh, soon about that. I'm not sure if we'll have it totally live this fall, but definitely by spring, you'll you'll be able to sign up for that. So so keep that in mind. Uh, something else I just thought of is a perception that once an area is burned, there's not going to be any wildlife in it till next year. That's not true. <laughs> we've could seen be further from the truth, We've right? seen turkey and and deer coming in to to check it out like right after we've burned it when there's even still some smoke coming off. And we we've had some hunters who have been successful in units that were burned like the the week before. You know, really, if you think about it, it's it's something new something different for the wildlife and and i think generally they're attracted to that they're they're going to be curious they're going to go in and check some stuff out you know it's it's not going to have all the browse obviously like it would the following year but it, the, the interesting thing that we have seen is that in, in oak stands you know fire will uncover acorns so it, it takes the leaf litter off and you're left with a whole bunch of exposed acorns so you know it's just kind of something that's maybe a little bit different and and uh, uh, uh gets the attention of of deer and turkey who are coming through there so something to think about
0: that's a great point and i mean you think about the uh, the insect communities that are exposed for all types oh, yeah. of birds bugs. including bugs uh, are going to be
1: available yeah
0: thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the woodsman podcast we'll see you next time